Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities, from Kentucky Humanities, where we've been telling Kentucky stories for 45 years. Here is your host, Bill Goodman. Mac McCormick is the publicity and rights manager for the University Press of Kentucky, uh, a man uh, who knows books in Kentucky and beyond. And uh, if you're not familiar with the University Press of Kentucky, you uh, ought to be and need to be. And uh, we'll talk about uh, how you can become more familiar with uh, uh, the University Press of Kentucky. But uh, so let's just start there, Mac, for people who don't know about uh, the University Press uh, origins and, and, and really uh, sort of a general broad definition of university presses all over the country. What, what exactly is a university press? Bill, good to be here. Um, a university press is um, what most of your, your listeners are probably familiar with the concept of a peer-reviewed journal where every article that goes in the journal is reviewed by outside experts to make sure it's a contribution to the field. It's not just a recap of what we already know. We're a book publisher that operates on the same uh, principle. Every manuscript that comes in before it gets published has to be reviewed by at least two outside experts in the field. And this ranges on everything from academic monographs on Kentucky history to regional cookbooks even. But what you're looking for is the ideal reviewer in the ideal review publication. So if you're expecting the book to be reviewed in, say, the Louisville Courier-Journal, you would look for uh, other editors, other food editors at newspapers, folks who know the field and can speak to uh, the validity of the book, uh, how how much of a contribution it makes. Uh, The point there is to make sure that we're publishing the best available material. We're also the University Press of Kentucky, as opposed to the University of Kentucky Press, which we actually used to be. Um, The press was founded in 1943 by Thomas D. Clark, um, who also founded everything else (laughs) uh, from special collections to archives. uh, Noted historian and uh, and, and who who really became uh, almost iconic in the uh, in the field uh, that he uh, worked in uh, in Kentucky for so many many years, lived to be over a hundred years old, and was still uh, active in in his last days. He he passed away two or three weeks shy of one hundred and two, um, and was uh, sharp as a tack almost <laughs> right until the end. Mm-hmm. Um, Every time he would come by the office, you know, he'd, hey, Mac, how's it going? And I was like low man on the totem pole back then. And he always remembered to ask yeah. about my folks in Alabama and this, that, and the other. And I, if, if my brain is half as sharp, if I get to half the age, let's, I'll be happy. Let's hope that's the case for all of us. But in 19, the press was founded in 43 by Dr. Clark and was run out of the history department here at UK for a little while until we hired our first professional director, Bruce Dembo, in the late 40s, might have been 1950. I'd have to double-check the records on that. But uh, um, but in 1969, we shifted to a consortium model. Uh, so instead of representing just the University of Kentucky, we represent 15 member institutions across the state. All of the public universities in the state, UK, UofL, Eastern, Western, Northern, Moorhead, Murray, K-State, um, but also five of the private colleges, Bellarmine, Berea Center, 
Georgetown and Transing, the two major historical societies, the Filson Historical Society and the Kentucky Historical Society. Um, and that allowed us to to keep only one university press at the state level. So if you look at, like, to our north in Ohio, I think there are five hmm. university presses in the state of Ohio. Um, if we had tried to divide the resources in the state of Kentucky amongst multiple presses, none of them would be viable. Not vi- None of them would, would have any much impact. Um, so that uh, allowed us to consolidate resources. And our editorial board and press committees are made up, well, the editorial board is made up of members from every in, each of our institutions that have the final say on the manuscript, so they get voted on by the boards. So are you still accepting some of the independent private uh, uh, universities and colleges to be members of the university press? And, and, and do you have all of the regionals uh, involved? Yeah, we've, I think we've got all—Pikeville is not— um, but, I, you know, I know they were talking about shifting that to university and mm-hmm. uh, back, what, about a decade ago, and I don't think that That ever, hasn't happened yet. Right. So they're, they're not, uh, some of the other, you know, there are other private so schools. So you have the not. other regionals uh, involved. And yep. now, now, so how does it work? I mean, uh, if um, in the limited knowledge I have of the uh, publishing world, and uh, if someone, and I just had uh, an author in talking uh, with her this morning about her book, um, you go through a process of, of writing. Uh, some might get an agent. Uh, mm-hmm. You uh, uh, shop it around to different uh, uh, publishing companies, uh, or you self-publish these days. Uh, there, there are various means of getting uh, a work in front of the public. Is that the same sort of um, way that uh, if somebody, not just an academic, because we'll talk about some of the books that you have. They're, oh, absolutely. They're not all. I mean, no, they're, they're far away. No, not by any stretch. Yeah. By, uh, so how, how, does it, how does it work? How does it happen? We, we get manuscripts uh, all from, from every, in every possible way you could imagine. Sometimes they show up in the mail unannounced. Um, sometimes we're working with authors that we've worked with for years and they've got a new manuscript or a lot of these being professors at, at various universities around the country and around the world, you know, they'll have students, uh, you know, grad students who are working on their dissertations, who are doing something interesting in a field that we're publishing in. So we'll get referrals. We also attend major academic meetings, everything from the Association of the United States Army to the Society for Cinema and Media Studies, uh, the Popular Culture and American Culture Association meeting, uh, the Association for African American Life and History, um, and so we'll and we'll meet with all, with potential authors there, um, and and set up meetings as well as display our books and sell. Um, so are, are you unique in the way, uh, just comparing yourself to the the five presses in in Ohio or? Uh, um, I know your your director, uh, Leo Salisbury, was at the University of Mississippi. Is that correct? Well, Leela started out, uh, yeah, she actually started yeah. out here in Kentucky. Um, she, was, uh, our, she was in my position when I was hired back in 98. Um, she was the publicist um, and then moved up to marketing manager and also acquired our film uh, titles uh, and then took over as press director at Mississippi and was there for a about eight years before um, our previous director, Steve Wren, uh, left to take over Notre Dame. 
So, so are those presses, uh, Mississippi, uh, uh, North Carolina, Alabama, uh, uh, Ohio, are they operated on a, on, on a similar model? Um, yes. I mean, all university presses, I mean, the, the distinguishing factor there is that we're peer-reviewed. Um, you know, it gives uh, a certain level of respectability and more than that, you know, an assurance that this is a contribution to scholarship. It furthers the field. Um, aside from that, we're, there are not many that are set up on consortium models like we are. Mississippi is one of those, though. Um, Ohio obviously is not because you've got Kent State University Press, Ohio State University Press, Cincinnati just opened a press, uh, Miami, yeah, and so maybe several, one other. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're mm-hmm. a lot, and it spreads their resources thin. And as a result, you know, all of them are smaller than we are while, you know, Ohio is a state out masses as population wise by a good bit. Um, well, enough about that. Enough about the details. Yeah. Uh, l- let's talk books. Yeah, uh, which books, I know are we the, both, books are the fun part. Yeah, they are. And, and um, uh, you know, one of the first, I guess, I had on was uh, the project manager, Joseph Beth. Um, Patrick. And Patrick, Patrick was, yeah. was here. And, and we had a great time talking about summer reads, and we're going to move sort of. Uh, into uh, the the fall uh, catalog and 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 but whatever you want to talk about this is the uh, the new books for fall and winter 2017 and and a lot of them are going to be at uh, the Kentucky Humanities Kentucky Book Fair um, in November the 17th and 18th uh, at the uh, Lexington Kentucky All Tech Arena at the Kentucky Horse Park and I, I guess I want to ask you. What in this catalog, if, if, if this is a fair question to you, what, what in this catalog really excites you uh, that that you're either that either you've read or you're looking forward to reading or, or uh, talking about? Um, there's several books that really excite me in this catalog. One of my personal favorites uh, that's forthcoming still, um, it'll be out in October, I think, is uh, The Beer Cheese Book by mm-hmm. Garen Pernia. Uh, she will be at the book fair. She's from uh, a food writer from northern Kentucky. I think she's in Covington um, and has done writing for a number of magazines. But uh, I love these. Uh, and we've done a few uh, in-depth look at a specific food and, and how it how it situates itself in, in kind of the national food culture. Um, we have a a book along a similar lines called Burgoo Barbecue and Bourbon by Albert Schmid, who's also supposed to be at the book fair uh, this year. Um, but this is a book looking specifically at beer cheese, uh, how it was created, where it falls in, in, plus a ton of recipes, not only for beer cheese itself, but recipes that incorporate beer cheese as an ingredient, like a beer cheese stuffed burger, for instance. Um, and I, that one appeals to me because I, I love to piddle around in the kitchen. Um, oh, do you? So I've got some yeah. some fun. Uh, I haven't busted out anything but a basic <laughs> beer cheese recipe from that yet, um, but it's on my to-play-with list in the kitchen. Well, let me say that uh, before we go any farther that uh, the uh, University Press of Kentucky is one of our partners uh, for the Kentucky Book Absolutely. Fair. Absolutely. We've been, been a sponsor of the Book Fair for years. Many, and many years, years and uh, you have your own special display and authors mm-hmm. and books there, and we're, we're just so proud to work with you. It's going to be bigger and better than ever before if we can top uh, the first 35 years we're going to give it this uh, give it a shot this year and, and you've been not at 35 but you've been in a lot of them uh this will probably be it'll be my 19th 
oh, wow. representing the yeah. press. Yeah. Um, and I had been to one before when I was a grad student here at UK. So this will be my 20th book fair. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, this is going to be good, uh, the, the beer cheese book, uh, because uh, she traces the history of beer cheese from its beginnings at the Driftwood Inn in Winchester, Kentucky to today. I mean, who, who knows that, that, that beer cheese uh, was just uh, uh, manufactured right down the road? It, yep, it started uh, right over in Winchester um, in the shadow of AL8. So <laughs> yeah. uh, for a small town, that's got a couple of uh, food claims to fame. So so what else are you reading? Uh, the other one that I'm actually really excited about is the new and collected poetry of, uh, of Jane De- Gentry. I have to be careful because I, I know her personally, knew her personally as Jane Vance. Yes. Um, though she always published under her maiden name. Yes. Um, and I, I remember Jane from when I was in graduate school at UK and worked with her off and on at the press as well. She was never one of our authors before this book, which is a, a posthumous collection. She passed away of cancer a couple of years ago, but it started working on this book before she passed away. And we uh, and hooked up with Julia Johnson, uh, who's with the UK MFA program. Um, and Julia and the daughters, uh, and Jane's two daughters, finished the manuscript out for us and have seen it through the editorial process. Um, she was just a delightful person. I don't think I ever went to uh, an event at the Singletary Center that I didn't run into her. <laughs> so was active in, in the writing community, uh, uh, an educator par excellence for years at UK. And, Forty uh, years. Mm-hmm. And, and she was uh, such a thoughtful Nice person. Yes. I, you can conjure up a number of other adjectives to use, but she was just a, a pleasant person to be around. And her poetry is delightful as well. I mean, she had a really uh, strong poetic voice, um, and this brings all of her extant poetry together in one volume. Uh, her two previously published collections, plus a, plus all of the poems that were published in periodicals but never made it into a collection before, and then uh, in addition, a number of unpublished pieces that she had, you know, never done anything with else before. So Jane uh, Gentry was a poet laureate uh, from uh, 2007 uh, to 2008. 2007 and eight. Um, and and you're you're saying that included besides just the poetry, there will be some essays. Uh, or is it no, just, it's, it's just all, a collection yeah, of poetry? Yeah, it's just a collection okay. of poetry, but there were a Which, number of poems. I mean, we were including the entire contents of her two previously published collections. Uh, Portrait of the Artist is a White Pig, I think, and uh, a Garden. Is it a Garden, Kentucky? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Trying to remember yes, looking at the, remembering yeah. the book on my shelf yeah, at garden, home. Garden in Kentucky, um, yes. And, and, and beyond those, it's a... a there were a number of poems that were published in literary journals and magazines, uh, and then there were a number that were just in the drawer. Um, she passed away um, much, much, much too early uh, in 2014, mm-hmm. um, and and she was she's deeply missed. But this is a way to look at uh, some of these new poems. Are her daughters uh, writers? Um, not poets. Okay. Um per se, but, uh, but they've been, you know, instrumental in, mm-hmm. in seeing their mother's vision through, uh, Julia Johnson is the, is the poet brought on to bring that sensibility to the editing of the collection. Tell me, um, more about the books, whether they're your favorites or not, uh, especially the ones that are going to be, uh, at the book fair and the ones that you want to talk about today. Absolutely. Uh, we can, t- uh, 
back up to some of our spring titles because so many of the fall titles we've we've got a few that have that have that are out now. Um, I know we've got uh, David Domine's three ghost books: uh, Ghosts of Old Louisville, Phantoms of Old Louisville, and Haunts of Old Louisville that we just reissued in paperback that are in the fall catalog. Those I think were the first of our fall books to come out, and they came out about a month ago. We'll be pushing them hard coming up for the, the Halloween season on through to the end of the year. Um, but uh, some of the spring titles that'll be that'll be there, uh, one that I'm particularly in, uh, intrigued by, uh, it's, a, it's an excellent read and a bit of Kentucky history I knew nothing about before the book, uh, is a book called Integrated by Jim Miller. Um, and it's a history of Okay, history might be going too far. It is a, it's a look at the Lincoln Institute. Uh, mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the Lincoln Institute? Yeah, yeah. Um, Over in Shelby County. But I probably was, don't know the detail. I, 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 I do know that it was there and that it was an African-American. It was the only all-black boarding school in the state of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a, a gem, both academically and athletically. It was a... Uh, um, one of the premier institutions in the state at the high school level um, that was available to African-Americans. Uh, Whitney Young, probably Kentucky's greatest civil rights leader, was one of the leaders of the school. Um, but James Miller, Jim Miller, uh, takes a close, in-depth look at one of their last basketball teams, uh, 1960, 61. Mm-hmm. Um, which made uh, the Sweet 16. Um, it wasn't the first all-black school to make the Sweet 16, but it was one of the first, and uh, the first one that was really expected to do well. They didn't end up winning the championship, but they had a good showing that year. Um, but it was also at the tail end of the school's history. It was a school that, of course, closed uh, after integration in Kentucky. So the book is, it's a look at, an in-depth look at that basketball season, but it also presents a broader history of the Lincoln Institute. But more pertinent than that is it's it's a lament uh, in, in a way, a lament to some of the good things, uh, and few good things, uh, I would add, that were lost to the progress of integration. Because um, the Lincoln Institute, is, as a result of integration, ceased to exist, and it was one of the things that the black community could point to and say, "This is ours. This is good." And a lot of those things disappeared. Now, overall, things improved, but there was a cost as well. Um, and you can see that reflected in the arguments over busing in Louisville right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with a lot of the black clergy not. Mm-hmm. opposed to busing because they want the neighborhood-centric schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you see a lot of the same, the same uh, uh, arguments uh, in, you know, thread through both of those uh, debates. What, what's another one that you would suggest? Um, one of my favorite, just fun books uh, that came out earlier this spring, came out back in February, is Mammoth Cave Curiosities, hmm. A Guide to Rock Phobia, Dating, Sabertooth Cats, and Other Subterranean Marvels. Uh, the author of that one, Colleen uh, O'Connor Olson, is a tour guide there at Mammoth Cave, a park ranger. And she originally started years ago putting together fact sheets uh, for the tours, um, compiling information on, you know, oddball topics, you know, what's the connection between Moby Dick and uh, and 
uh, Mammoth Cave? What's the connection between, you know, how do you, how do you date things in the cave? Um, you know, what fossils have been found? Uh, she's got the story of, uh, of, uh, oh, some of the early cave guides, Stephen Bishop being one of the most notable, but others included. So it's, like a collection of essays, uh, but interesting facts and fun tidbits. Uh, it's it's one of those books that is it's appropriate for adults, but it also works well for uh, younger readers as well. She even um, did you have you read it? I've read most of it. I haven't so, read it cover uh, to cover. In, in your tease in the catalog. Uh, uh, Elton John's name is in the first sentence there. Uh, what in the world? What's his? Uh, relationship to Mammoth Cave. Do you remember that, or is that where that one? I'm drawing a blank on. Okay. The, right. uh, yeah, that one. <laughs> Didn't mean to well, stump they're you. all. I mean, you know, they, she talks about when Reagan came yeah. and toured the cave. So, you know, a lot of those celebrity appearances. Uh, you know, when do they give private cave tours, which they have in some cases, uh, but uh, a lot of times it's the celebrities just joining in on regular tours. Well, let me jump to the fall catalog too, uh, just very quickly because uh, it, it it is marked, and I hope. Um, that uh, the, the mark in my catalog means that Robert Lawson is going to be there with uh, Who Killed Betty Gale Brown. Robert Lawson is, um, for those uh, who know him, is uh, um, has the sort of reputation, uh, that, that iconic um, uh, reputation in the law school at the University of Kentucky, um, almost uh, as uh, Thomas Clark did in, in history. Yeah, I think he served twice as interim dean over there and was at the U.K. Law School for almost 50 years. Yeah, and, I and, mean, and I, this is going to be delightful, and, and this story is, is fascinating. So tell us a little bit right. about it. Um, for your listeners who don't know about the Betty Gale Brown murder, it's one of Lexington's, uh, I would say, most famous unsolved murders. Um, in 1961... Um, Transylvania University student, 19-year-old Betty Gale Brown was found parked in the Circle Drive outside Old Morrison in her car, strangled with her own brassiere. Um, The murder has never been solved. There was one person brought to trial uh, who actually confessed to the killing and was acquitted. Um, It was one of those cases, he was in Oregon, where he's like, I think I killed a girl when I was in Kentucky. And she didn't, you know. He was brought to trial. Bob Lawson, Robert Lawson, was his defense attorney. So he's, I mean, it's it's a history of the case, but he's also working with intimate, first-hand detailed knowledge of a lot of it. So it brings that perspective to the book. Um, true crime is not a not something we do a whole lot of, but this is very much a Kentucky story, very much a Lexington story, um, and has a lots of interesting threads, lots of interesting connections. So, I, For instance, um, were you ever on Curtains at Ape with Nick Lawrence? Yeah. Um, I was talking with Nick Lawrence about uh, not this book, but where Betty Gale Brown gets mentioned in, a, in another book of ours that we published several years ago, uh, found out that uh, Nick actually dated Betty Gale Brown <laughs> a handful of times. Really? About, you know, it was almost a year before the murder, and they weren't going out at the time. But, um, yeah, that's so lots of interesting yeah. connections. Well, um, Robert Lawson is a fascinating um, uh, person, and— uh, uh, I, I don't know him well, but had him as a guest a couple of times, and, and we exchanged some correspondence. And 
and for him to be at the book fair uh, uh, with this, I th- he, he'll have a great time talking to people, and people will be fascinating uh, to talk with him uh, about this book and about the law in general. About he's, the law in general. He's, he's uh, extremely knowledgeable on that front as well. I mean, no one spends 50 years teaching it to, at a law school without picking up a few things. No, he's an uh, um, interesting fellow. I've only met him face-to-face once when he came by the office and we talked some about the book, uh, but dealt with it a lot via, via email and, and phone uh, and look forward to, to working with him more. That book won't be out until... It'll pub, we'll have a pub date in November, but it'll be out sometime in late October. Good, good. I'm glad he's going to be there. And so give us um, uh, one more. Um, one that's still, again, yet to come out. It'll be out uh, pub, published in October. That'll probably be out uh, in late September is James Still Alive by Carol Bodges. Um, in my opinion, James Still wrote what I consider the best Kentucky novel ever published in River of Earth. Um, he's uh, considered the dean of Appalachian literature, extremely influential on a generation of writers. Uh, you know, folks like Ron Rash and Silas House um, was good friends uh, and an older mentor to, to folks like Lee Smith. Um and left just a huge mark. And, and James Still is a, is an author that I actually got to work with in person in my early days at the press. Um, and along with Dr. Clark is one of the two that I'm, I'm most happy to have gotten the chance to mm-hmm. work with before we lost them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the first ever biography of James Still. So That's I, amazing. I know. I, 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 mm-hmm. um, shocked that something wasn't done. There have been a couple of academic books that covered some of the biography uh, before this, but this is the first ever straight-up biography of him. Carol Bodges is an Appalachian Studies uh, scholar at Mars Hill College um, in North Carolina, and she's president of the Appalachian Studies Association. So that's uh, and she'll. Uh, the plan is that she's coming in for the book fair. I've got to make a couple of. I got to double check a couple of things on her schedule. Um, we had it all ironed out before the date change. Yeah. And that, that threw some right. things, but I think she's still going to be able to make it. And the date change, uh, once again, for our listeners, uh, November 17th and 18th at the Kentucky uh, Horse Park, Alltech Arena. Uh, James Still, uh, I, I did not uh, meet him. Uh, he died in 2001. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I, I, one of my, I'll always carry this as a special time, uh, when I was at the Hanman Settlement School uh, mm. for the Writers' Conference and was fortunate enough. Uh, in, in fact, there were some students that were housed in his yes. cabin mm-hmm. up on the mountain, and his library uh, is still, still there. there. And, mm-hmm. and to go into the cabin uh, where he lived all the time that he was in uh, latter years residence uh, at Hanman Settlement School and to touch uh, or read uh, the titles of the books that he owned, that's a special thing for Kentuckians. I know. I, it's fascinating. And, and some of those, I'm always fascinated in, in what people are reading. Um, I can't pass someone with a book under their arm without trying to get a peek at the spine <laughs> or cover. Um, and that's... I, and, and I have been to Heinemann. I've been to uh, the Writer's Workshop, but just for a day... Um, and I have seen the cabin, but I didn't get the chance to go in. So if I, you know, when I get back, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to. Oh, you'll have to do that because it's really open to the public. I mean, yes. I, they, uh, the people that stay there and, and, uh, so you, 
Yeah, I was your there credentials. Working. I was there working, yeah. so it was a it was a matter of having the time. Yeah. But, uh, um, now, one of the other fascinating books that uh, that that gives you some insight into into someone's mind like that was about three years ago. We published uh, a book, uh, collected letters between Robert. Uh, uh, no, Thomas Merton yes, and right. Carolyn and Victor Homer. Yes, yes, I remember um, that book. Yeah, that was wonderful. And one of the one of the things that I found most fast I mean, there's interesting, you know, discussions of art and yeah. politics and religion, yeah. but one of the most fascinating things, uh, Carolyn Homer, who was over at UK Libraries directing King Library Press at the time, up uh, kind of operated as Merton's personal librarian. Mm-hmm. Um so a good chunk of a lot of the letters he sent specifically to her would be like, oh, and can you pull me all these books out of the UK <laughs> libraries? So you yeah. get this insight into what he was reading as he was writing some of his yeah. definitive work, you know, some of his seminal yeah. work. So that's, that always fad, that kind of stuff fascinates me. Well, Mac McCormick of the University Press of Kentucky, uh, thanks so much for sharing uh, what uh, people can look forward to, uh, not only Uh, through the catalog uh, and selections that won't be at the Kentucky Book Fair in November, but uh, the authors and the books uh, uh, that will be available at the Kentucky Book Fair, and uh, especially the authors who will uh, come along uh, uh, once again November 17th and 18th. 18th is the uh, the big day out at the uh, Kentucky Horse Park Alltech Arena. Thanks a lot, and we'll Look forward to spending some time with you on that day, maybe if we're not both too busy, either reading reading a book or, or watching what someone else is purchasing. I'm sure we'll both be busy, but I will definitely uh, take the time to stop and say hello, and uh, it's one of my favorite events every year. It's mine too, and we're looking forward to it. Mac McCormick, thanks. My pleasure. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities and is a production of the University of Kentucky College of Arts and Sciences. This podcast was created at the Media Depot. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. SoundCloud.